Hi guys, welcome to the Alternative Podcast. Today we've got Birch Driver. He's got his own podcast called The Green Knight. We'll leave all the details in the description. Um, so Bert, uh, Birch, sorry, what, um, where did you initially start this journey? What got you into the podcasting space? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people ask a similar question uh, is like, what was your moment, you know, uh, your aha or your wake up, you know, and for me, it's, you know, I, I said on my last interview that I basically was born <laughs> that way, like born kind of feeling like a freak on the periphery on the outside, you know, and then was, I uh, had to deal with uh, that, you know, throughout my life, you know, always feeling different and also on um, this sense that I was being excluded, like, you know, so I had to master this victim mentality to overcome it, you know? And so that, you know, being on the periphery gives you a different kind of viewpoint. It allows you to see things as they are instead of like, um, you know, can't see the forest because the trees, you know, that aspect. So I've always been that kind of way. And uh, <clears throat> uh, when I was 15, I kind of had a wake up moment. But you know, you wake up, uh, there's, you know you can't pitch your tent right so you always there's always another plateau to ascend right and so that's what my mission has been as far as starting podcasting you know i was listening pretty heavily over the last five years and previous to that i went to school in la uh for industrial design and back in early 2000s there was a thing called kpfk in la and this is a public radio and uh, I used to listen to that religiously. And, and on KPFK, you have uh, the left, hard left and hard right coming on right after each other, you know. And so I started to realize back then, 20 years ago, that uh, that uh, um, this polarity is uh, a unity in disguise, right, is, is that one side defines the other, you know, and they can't exist without each other. And so it's like if if someone's opposition would suddenly disappear, then they would find themselves hard pressed to identify themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, I'm against this. This is how I am. This is what I do. I'm against this. But when you realize that it's a polar relationship, right? And so I made that realization back listening to KPFK and, you know, um, <clears throat> Uh, listening to the real lefties and then immediately after um, one of these hard right guys like Limbaugh, you know, and so you get to see the contrast and recognize that they're just playing off of each other, right? Two, two wings on the same bird. And, uh, but as far as podcasting goes, like, I just had this uh, idea that it's possible to um, come out of this kind of like downward spiral that our civilization seems to be in. And uh, I came at it from the idea of manufacturing because I was in industrial design. And so I was like, how do we fix manufacturing? And once you go down that rabbit hole, you realize that there's symptoms. Our society has all these symptoms that stem from one problem. And this is what I've discovered. And so if you can identify the problem, then you're halfway to the solution. Yeah. yeah. What did you do in manufacturing to sort of start? Well, that's where you sort of started to try and make change what did what was it exactly that you did there um well it started to develop a um a philosophy of what it really is like what value is you know and value uh comes from people living right and we live by exchange we don't individually some of us do but we don't individually interface with the environment we interface as a collective you know and so 
what we do is we uh, exchange value with each other. And that value is largely centered around manufacturing, about, around the objects that we make, because we are all specialists, you know? And so we all fit into this larger structure that is uh, creating output, right? That we all value, you know? And so I was like, if we really wanna make an adjustment to uh, our uh, civilization, right? We have to understand our real motivations, right? And our original motivations, our natural motivations is what we're told is, is that um, we must survive, right? But what we're built to do is to live, <laughs> you know? So why would you must survive when you're already living? It's like a double bind. And uh, <clears throat> so we exchange, right? We exchange, that's how we live, right? We exchange value with each other to live. And largely this value comes from the things that we make. Like we're creative individuals, all of us together. But as a collective, right? We operate as a one unit because uh, we all need each other to survive, right? Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was like, okay, manufacturing is the problem. Right. And this is, uh, um, you know, the extreme waste and you know, all the stuff, uh, the ownership of all of the uh, sources of value by a very few percentage of the population. Right. When really we're all built to create value, you know. And so we've been removed from our own nature, which is to be creative. And, and we've kind of forgotten that we are creative and instead we just consume and the feedback that we give the designers of our culture right because it's not everyone the only way we design our culture at the moment is the masses consume right and that information is taken by the manufacturers and the corporations in order to improve products right right but uh um really it's uh our nature to create right each of us has these individual gifts right we're all unicorns we all have these gifts right that are made to be of value to others right what are our gifts if not for other people right and so this is where i was coming at it but uh once you it's like ah, i'm going to fix manufacturing and redistribute the sources of value you know equally across the globe all this stuff minimize waste right uh, remove all of these things. And it's what you find out is that any new organization, this is what I found out, is any new organization that we try to create will not be sustainable if we maintain our current psychological state. And so I was like, we have to make a psychological transformation in order to create a new organization right? that will not be corrupted, that will not be stratified and, and pyramidized. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can't help but think about when you're describing what you are about Apple because they, the masses all go for Apple devices, Apple phones. They're the pioneers of creativity and innovation and everything that every sort of creative word you can come up with. But everyone that goes for them devices is sort of a lot of the people are stuck in jobs where they're not creative at all, very repetitive jobs. And even like just thinking about it a little bit deeper, the people who actually create the iPhones, the, the factories they get taken, um, outsourced out to, they're not even being creative because they're probably going to have a script of this is how you assemble it. Now assemble a hundred a day. See you later. That's not creative at all. That's like the yeah. 
and it's soul killing, right? Because it it puts you in this, uh, uh, you know, on an assembly line, right? And this is not our nature right? to be like this. We flow in and out, right? We don't just ride a line, you know, perpetually doing the same thing constantly over and over, right? And so it's like it. We wonder why we don't feel fulfilled, right? Is this most of us are just doing this thing uh, in order? so that we must survive right <laughs> right and i i talking about like that aspect about um this motivation right that we have and what is motivation right i mean it's like a cause and effect right it's like this recognition that you are this individual separate from everything else and that you are going to make these take these actions that will create an effect right but uh what i would love to talk about with you guys today is this idea of polarity right have you guys uh, uh looked into this polarity aspect much yeah so one of the things i i uh i had a big realization while i was doing the podcast is i was looking at the hermetic principles right and so we have to look at this information without any blinders or goggles or, uh, you know, um, um, preconceived notions about this, the hermetic principles. And when you look at the hermetic principles, you realize that it's the same information that Hinduism, uh, Taoism, Buddhism, and Zen Buddhism are imparting, right? And so it's like seven principles, right? And, um, <clears throat> Just going through them quickly, it's like the principle of mentalism, right? It's the first principle, which suggests that the entirety of the of everything is mental, right? Um, and so the whole thing, like, so if we we're gonna think of what where we live as a simulation, then the programmer is not separate from the program, it is the program, right? If you think about it in that way, consciousness is everything, right? And so the second principle is the principle of uh everything is vibration right everything is vibration and so our five senses right um our known senses are all receptive to um uh, perceiving uh, some type of vibration right so hearing right sight and touch right these are all sensing vibration right which is frequency and and so this is suggesting also that everything is frequency Right. And that we get this from different uh, disciplines, such as quantum mechanics and various ways is that we recognize that everything is actually just energy and information, right, in the form of waves. <laughs> right. And we kind of lose sight of it because we have this illusion of solidity and separateness. But if we look at uh, the properties of waves, we can understand polarity um, and uh, polar relationships. Right. So quickly, a polar relationship is uh um, what are seemingly opposites require each other to be defined, right? So an easy one is light and dark, right? We wouldn't be able to comprehend what light is without the contrasting dark, right? And so they're undefinable by themselves. As a monopole, they're undefinable. So they are polar relationship that requires both sides in order to be defined. So it's like unity in disguise, right? And so we recognize that uh, waves have this property, right? So if everything is frequency, waves have this property, this property of polarity, which is that in every wave, there's a peak and a trough, 
right? And you can't have a wave without those two things. And so the peak and the trough is what actually defines the wave. So we can understand polarity in this way. And so polar relationships have these features, which is that they require each other to be defined, right? If you remove one, the other has no meaning, right? Does this make sense? And the other thing is, is that uh, they uh, um, arrive mutually, right? So all polar relationships, um, both poles arrive uh, at the same time, you know? Does this make sense? Yeah, because you could look at it from the example of uh, male and female, right? Yes, exactly. And so that's one of, that's the seventh principle, which is the principle of gender, right? Okay. And so if you... So vibration uh, uh, correspondence, which is as above, so below, we've all heard this, right? Which is that the patterns, you can think about it macro and micro, that we see the same patterns on the macro scale as a micro scale. And there's all kinds of other ways that this, um, we can recognize this uh, as above, so below aspect, right? But that's one way to look at it. Um, but the, the principle of polarity, right? Um, and the principle of cause and effect. <laughs> Um, these are the uh, fourth and the fifth principle. And so we were just discussing polarity and then we recognize that all of the principles really um, independent of the first one and the principle of correspondence are um, polar relationships there, right? So male and female, right? You can't define one without the other. That's a polar, polar relationship. And so this cause and effect one is what is what really, this is the one that I've really gotten into recently is to understand this aspect, right? Which is cause and effect is a linear progression of time, right? Uh, create a cause, get an effect, right? But this is a polar relationship, right? Cause and effect are not divisible, right? You cannot have a cause without an effect and vice versa, right? So they define each other. And so the other defining aspect of a polar relationship is that they arrive mutually, right? And so this basically says that time is an illusion, right? That um, cause and effect arrive at the same time. <laughs> so they're really, this illusion is, is just an artifact of having an um, a awareness, right? In the spectrum of the totality that is the physical part, right? Right. And so when you start to think about this, you're like, okay, then that's why they say that all time exists at once, right? All eventualities exist at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, would you say it's similar to, um, I was watching something the other day and it was measuring the pyramids um, in a certain metric, but then the metrics didn't exist back in the Egyptian times. So how would they have been able to do but would you put time in that same category as it's just another metric that we've just labeled something which doesn't actually exist the same thing the same way we measure anything centimeters and millimeters yeah. don't actually yeah. exist yeah and if you think about it like this there really are no events because an event is a cause and then an effect right that happens at a time and a place right but if a cause and effect arrive mutually then there can be no events <laughs> so we think about time as these higher dimensional aspects of the totality right um the uh all we can't think about it in the same way if we go up a dimension right like a hyper dimensional uh sphere right an extra dimensional sphere 
it's impossible to consider it because we are a 3D um, consciousness. It's not impossible. It's just that when we try to conceptualize it, we are unable to, and we have to dance around it, you know? And so, and that's what I would say in this discussion is, that's what I like to say is that we are using conception to talk about the unfathomable, <laughs> right? And so we recognize that it's that it is uh, a trap, right? Because we can't conceive, right? The whole what I'm trying to get at is is let's begin with the end in mind is that the solution, right, where our civilization proliferates and moves into the future, right? Um, is <clears throat> is uh, um, hinged hinged upon the uh, our ability to. Um, uh, remove our conception of things you know which is to see without any uh human um evaluation of it right so like and so the objective is that's how we um allow civilization to proliferate because the alternative is a dead end right it's a repeating cycle that has a limit right and this is the cycle that we're on at the moment Right. And so we can break this cycle. And so that that's what I this is what I'm trying to conceptualize is how we break this cycle. And so beginning with the end in mind is we break it by um, becoming uh, recognizing that we don't exist. Right. That we don't exist separate from the total. Right. So all of our ideas about what it means to be uh, an individual. Right. Uh, are false. And so understanding this cause and effect aspect, right, that all polarity comes in um, at the same time, right, is we recognize that time is an illusion and that things are an illusion, right, because it, a thing and no thing, this is what I was trying to get at, no thing, nothing, and thing are a polar relationship, <laughs> right? How do you define thing without a space for it to be in, you know, you know what I mean? And what is a space? Right? How do you recognize emptiness without something there as not empty? You know, and so we see this as a polar relationship, so it can't be escaped. So we have to recognize that we don't exist, right? Separate from the total, we are just a thing that the whole thing is doing. <laughs> you know, yeah, just part of the the process. Uh, so when you say um, about materials being sort of, I don't know how to phrase what I'm going to say. This is like mind blowing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the way I'm looking at it is um, materials, like I've got an iPad right here. Um, everyone's always thinking I need more materials. That's how I progress through life. I need to get a bigger TV. I need to get a faster car. I need to get a upgraded phone because every year a new phone comes out. Um, which isn't even that much of an improvement, but everyone seems to think it is. What is that like the turn of civilization? That's the, the way we've sort of adapted to technology in the wrong way, so to speak, because we're, we're looking at it through the wrong lens. Yeah. Um, so the things that I'm saying, and I'm no, um, like, I don't claim anything I don't claim to know. It's like, this is how it seems to me when I think about it. And, and I'm referencing all of these uh, older thinkers, you know, from the past and people from the, from the present. So it, it's not me. It, 
I'm just saying what's already been said, you know, for thousands of years. And, uh, but uh, there, um, there is a, you know, there is a purpose, right, to talk about these things, right? There is a, um, there is, this is why I'm op optimistic, is that I think it's possible for us to make this psychological transformation, right? That would permit us to operate on aggregate, right, as a collective, right? Um, in a pattern that isn't repeating and isn't that doesn't have a limit, right? And so th there's a particular problem that, that being alive uh, brings into being, and this is what we're discussing, right? Is that um, there, there is no way to divide out the self from other, right? There is no way because this is a polar relationship, <laughs> right? Um, <clears throat> and so uh, the key is, right, is to permit the um, the superposition of self and other, right? Is to permit this duality, this dual nature of things, right? And in so doing, you become non-dual. <laughs> you become non-dual. And so I, I have this thing. So I'm saying the same thing, but I have this one thing that is different, I think, from everyone else, which is that... Um, we've separated ourselves out from the natural rhythm, right? And the problem that we have with that is that it creates a vicious cycle, right? And we can recognize it by looking at history. Um, just the, the, you know, the people get all up in arms about what, you know, history is or whatever, but we can definitely see there's a uh, cyclic pattern that civilization exhibits, right? Which is a, Climb and collapse, climb and collapse, climb and collapse. And the distance between these collapses gets shorter and shorter. And so now we are arriving at the point at which there's a limit to that behavior. And so why is it cause a vicious cycle, right? And this is, I don't know if you guys have heard of Bertrand Russell, right? He was a philosopher that uh, lived um, turn of the century into the you know, 30s, 40s, and 50s, I think. And he wrote the Principia Mathematica, which, in which he tried to catalog every symbolic representation we had made, whether with logic or math, you know, since our inception, right? And um, what he wants to point out with this is this contradiction, this contradiction, which comes from set theory, right? Have you guys looked into set theory at all? No. Nope. So Godel basically threw everyone on their head in the late 1900s by saying that math is incomplete, right? And he proved there are truths that are unprovable, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah, I have heard about this, yeah. Yeah, and so in set theory, and so um, you can basically come at this pretty simply, right? Um, it's, it's the problem of self-reference, right? is that you will end up with contradiction, right? At a certain point, because you cannot remove yourself objectively from the totality. So you will, and this is why math is incomplete, why there are truths that will be unprovable because we end up with this contradiction. And, you, and so I'm getting at how this vicious cycle is created. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's deep, and, that's super, super deep. 
Yeah, and so just to like try to finish this thought, um, so this set theory, and so there's this, Bertrand Russell came up with this paradox, right, where he says, imagine the set of all things, right, the set of all things that does not include itself, <laughs> right, so yeah. it's everything, yeah. right, that does not include itself, and so when you, right, if that's the initial conditions, if that's the setup of the thought experiment, right, then yourself are outside of the set of all things but now you're qualified to become part of that set because you're outside of it right but you can't become a part of it because of the initial requirements of the set <laughs> right so it's a contradiction and this is the problem that we have with self-reference is that self and other are a polar relationship right it's unity in disguise you cannot divide yourself up from all other things Right. <laughs> so based on maths being incomplete, will science, based on maths being incomplete, science, yeah, it's, it's science like a thought will experiment never... where um, we um, as scientists, as investigators are trying to find out what the world is. But every time we get real close, we realize that the world is us, <laughs> right? That we can't have, there is no objective truth from an observer's point because you affect, um, you are connected to the whole thing, you know? So traditional physics and traditional science will never find the answer. Well, they keep looking, right? And this is the repeating of the pattern. It's the vicious cycle. And they force it on us and they take these big concepts and they repackage them in a way that makes us confused about what they really mean. Like this non-locality um, uh, Nobel Prize, right? This is what quantum mechanics says that everything is entangled. And so what's happening locally is affected by everything in the fucking universe, right? There's no local reality, right? And so they package it in this way. And then suddenly it's like, everyone's like, are we living in a simulation? You know? And so it's not the way to think about it, right? It's just that everything, right? Um, if we think about the universe and all of these dudes were doing thought experiments, all of these quantum physicists and stuff, right? So think about the universe, <clears throat> um, right? Time is an illusion, but in this spectrum of the totality where we are, right? It appears as if time passes. And so you can go back to the origin point of all things, right? You know, can just think about it. And that origin point is a singularity, right? Going down, 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 down to the smallest scale, right? And so if you wanted to arrive at the center, right, go inside, <laughs> go all the way in. That's the center of everything, you know, and this is what we are, right? This is what we are. We are connected to the whole thing. And when we let go, when we stop insisting on a divided self, right, then we are, we recognize that we don't exist. Only the whole thing exists. And by doing this, we actually unlimit ourselves, right? Because an individual is limited right? Become unlimited by becoming selfless. And when I say selfless, I don't mean like always working in service of others. I mean, actually no self, right? <laughs> and so when you're in this mode, this is a meditative state. This is flow state. When you're in your highest potential, operating potential, and you fucking get a glimpse of yourself, you realize that you're not even there. And then once you have that, once you take that glimpse and you're like, oh, look how awesome I am, then everything collapses, right? And your potential is limited, right? And so it's this 
this is the catch 22 is like let go surrender right stop acting like it's you and then suddenly your capability is immeasurable and so if we can all make this transformation we can create an organization <laughs> that can move into the future right that isn't a limit right that isn't a dead end right yeah and what me and Aaron have on the journey we've been on with our channel what we've seen is more and more people recently are waking up like a a unique amount of people are waking up over the last two years maybe um so uh, do, do you think there's been a shift somewhere which has caused a mass awakening yeah and i think the shift is um it can be a trap right and this is what i recognize everyone's waking up to all of the shenanigans right and the wool being pulled over our eyes and all this stuff but then, okay, so then you start pointing it out and then everyone starts arguing about all the different ways and how it is, right? So we all realize we're, we're, we're getting uh, fooled, right? And then on that plateau, we divide again, right? And so the whole truth or community has been divided again, right? Based on these, uh, you know, incendiary topics that really aren't addressing the real issue, which is how do we prevent the dead end? Right. How do we prevent the stub timeline? Right. <laughs> and so um, just getting back to this divided consciousness, right? So divided consciousness is the artificial rhythm, right? It separates you out from the natural rhythm, right? And uh, it creates this pattern, right? On aggregate, our whole civilization. So we are a collective species, right? We are a collective species. And so if we're going to, if the human race is going to be available for consciousness, right, to have experiences in the future, right, then um, we, it seems like we should avoid this other outcome, which is operation from a divided consciousness, right, which is us against them. And so if all of our relationship has this as the initial conditions, right, right, which is that somehow I must survive, right, I must win, right, at the expense of someone else, right, it creates a pattern, right, which is a divided consciousness pattern, and it's simply that, but it's an artificial rhythm, right, and so whenever you are operating in that space, right, of divided consciousness, where I am going to do this, I'm going to take this action, and it's going to cause this effect, right, then you are operating from divided consciousness, right? And so that's a polar position. <laughs> that is a perturbation of the collective psyche, right? In which if you're gonna operate on one pole, it immediately creates the opposite pole, right? <laughs> Polarity, right? Oper saying you are an individual separate from everything else creates a polarization, right? That must be balanced out, right? This is how the universe works. But this divided consciousness creates a separate uh, rhythm, right? That operates uh, independently from the natural rhythm. And so it like divides itself out. And I would say that this is the metaphor that is in the fable of the Garden of Eden, right? Which is that we um, suddenly comprehend the... Um, we understand the nature of good and evil is right. That's eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, right? And so this is a polarity, good and evil, 
but is a polarity that doesn't exist except for in our own conception, right? And it is based on divided consciousness, which is that there is a threat out there, right? There is something evil, right, that I must protect myself from, right? And so we all operate in this way, right? And it creates a chain reaction. It's like at a gunfight, right? A meeting between lords of gangs, right? They all come packing, right? And whoever draws down first creates a chain reaction where everyone else fucking is going to draw down too. And then you are end up, you end up with the last man standing. And so this is basically what we have. This is the chain reaction that occurs when we operate into divided consciousness. And so this is the different thing that I'm saying, that this is actually where we are now as a civilization, as a species, requires constant prodding and uh, reinforcement, right? Because we would have naturally gone back to a, a state of homeostasis with the environment and just be chilling, you know? We'd just be rolling right now. But we have to be constantly maintained in the state of fear, right? In the state of threat in order to continue on this divided path, which has a limit, right? But, but the thing is, is that the more we are divided, right, as we move forward from industrialization, we become more and more fractured, more and more atomized, atomized. And like just the last three years, the hardest atomization that we've had yet, where just people walking past you are a threat to you, you know. Um, <clears throat> and so there's a curious fucking um, symptom of this behavior is and it is our technology, right? And the irony is, what is the message of our technology, right? This is comes from Mafluhan. The medium is the message. And this is what I talk about in my podcast, right? Is understanding what the medium, our technology is the mediums, right? What is the message of the medium? And what McLuhan says is the message is the medium. The medium is the message. And so all of our technology, despite us being divided, right? Um, only tells us that we are more and more interdependent, more and more interdependent. The more radical innovation that we take, the more interdependent we are. And so the more divided we are, the more interdependent we become. And it becomes this massive contradiction that create, that you have to have cognitive, cognitive dissonance to be able to operate under, right? Do you see this in our surroundings right now? Crazy contradictions everywhere, right? Um, people on the left having to hold two opposite things in their mind at the same time, and yet still not seeing that they contradict each other. You know, on the right too. I would say both sides are just as full, right? I think uh, free speech is a prime example because the right will claim free speech when it's something they uh, want to express, but if it goes against what they want, then they will say, "Oh." we need regulations in place to prevent that and then the left will be the exact same to the right yeah so contradict each other exactly and you'll see the big flip-flop from the last 20 years um 2004 the right wanted to censor the left for criticizing the government about war in in the middle east right now we have the left wanting to censor the right right and no one remembers right you just flip sides it's fucking crazy but uh, so just to finish what I was saying, which is that it's this, if we hold in our minds this division, right, this divided consciousness mindset, then um, in all of our relationships, it creates a pattern, right? Right. On aggregate, over time, millions of interactions, it creates a pattern if everyone's operating from this position, right, which is that you're separate and you must survive, you know? Um, so, right, if we can flip that switch, 
right? Which is to recognize that we are not separate and that you cannot be separate. And if you insist on being separate, then you get this mental illness, right? <laughs> Which is this the pattern. <laughs> so if we can recognize that, right? Then at this point, we can take all of our accumulated knowledge, right? With all of our technology and operate it in rhythm with nature, nature 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 right and not operating in this artificial rhythm right that we are operating separate from and the only way that is possible to do is that we all have our individual minds right and whatever we believe you know in the majority inside society becomes operatively true right i mean this is the most mund mundane way to describe we create our own reality you know what i mean which is that whatever we believe despite its veracity or not, it becomes true in the operation of society if everyone believes that, you know? And so this is the initial conditions of the equation of humanity, right? And so if we can change our initial conditions, right, to not be in survival mode, right, to be fearless, right, and to recognize that we are here to exchange with each other, then we maximize that, we maximize that exchange, we maximize that living aspect. And so when we're divided like this, right, we don't change, right? We're fully evolved already. We had this exchange in place before the cataclysm that destroyed this earlier civilization. Are you guys down with that? Are you down with that? Uh, somewhat. Uh... Yeah, there's tons of evidence, right? That there was, you know, that we had this figured out more somehow in the past. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> So we're already fully capable, right? Um, this living in our industrialized society doesn't improve us, right? It improves our technology, <laughs> right? So we stay the same. Our technology becomes advanced, but we get to a point, and this is why there's a limit to this behavior, where our technology is incompatible with our mode, with our adversarial mode of operation, right? And so our technology is saying we're interdependent. Right? We put our nervous system outside of our bodies and connected all of us right, with the internet. Right? Everything that we make is an extension of the faculty of our bodies. Right? The internet is the system. Right? You think the ancients used to live by this way, this natural rhythm, live their lives with this natural rhythm in mind. And after this great cataclysm, it got forgotten about. Or Yeah, we were, we, there was maybe 2,000 of us left you know, <laughs> after that. Um, so I watch quite a bit of Graham Hancock and he's, uh, so he went to a few, like, I think he went to Mexico. Yeah, I've been studying him since his earlier books. Like, Yeah, I, so you'll, you'll probably know a lot more about him than me. Yeah. Well, um, I agree with him, except that I don't agree in some cases, right? Because he said <laughs> there's, a, there's a common story with a lot of societies where a guy came on a boat and taught them how to farm and taught them sort of, how to run a civilization. Did they not pass down the knowledge from the ancients about natural rhythms? Um, so yeah, and this is what Matt LaCroix talks about, you know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. A little bit, I've listened to one or two of his things. Yeah, and so he's all into this. He's learned how to translate the cuneiform tablet, tablets and all that stuff. Um, the, the cataclysm happened, right? And there was an attempt by the survivors of the, the high priests of this high civilization. You can call it Atlantis or whatever, right? 
to an attempt to bring humanity back up to um, a level, right? So it's almost like you could call it the fall of man, right? To remember, um, right? To remember man or put man back together, right? All of these buildings and shit were like made to, in order to do that. Um, but all were corrupted <laughs> at some point in the past, right? And this is like anyone listening, like I'm not saying anything for sure. This is just what it seems like. But if you look at the history of the Mayans, right? They have this uh, hummingbird god that comes in, right? And changes everything, right? This guy that comes from the South. And that's when they start doing all this fucked up shit, right? And so previous to that, all of these buildings are way older than we give them credit for, right? And you can see that they're more advanced on the bottom, right? And they turn into basically stacked rocks on the top, right? So there's like a degradation, right, over time of, yeah, so that we had this knowledge, we forgot it, and a little bit is survived here and there, right? And for me, it's like one of the things that survives is like Taoism, right, which is the I Ching, right? This is like teaching you the knowledge that the the previous civilization had, right? But it's, uh, you know, it's, I would say that it's been uh, 8,000 years plus, right? And uh, Lao Tzu, whatever, 6,000 years ago, right? It's been saying this shit, but we it hasn't had an impact, <laughs> right? We're still operating in this same mode. So the time is now, right? The urgency is here. But when you look at it from the standpoint of all time, all timelines exist um, simultaneously, right? What's special about this one? Like, why is this special? Why is consciousness interested in this? Why does it appear to be like there's these other races, you know, taking a look at what's happening here? You know, that's the way it appears. I'm not going to say anything yay or nay about that. But uh, it seems like there is forces at play that want to drive us all the way down into that stubbed timeline and then build a simulated universe and just live at the end of that stub right <laughs> inside a digital universe you know because they know that divided consciousness is a dead end every time they know it's a dead end the only way to fucking become a god is to ride down that dead end build a giant fucking simulation and then become a god at the end of this dead end timeline you know <laughs> and this is where it gets real conspiracy for what i'm talking about because this is like um what the gnostics talk about right with the demiurge and stuff and for me the demiurge isn't the creator it's simulated creation and put it on top and install it in our minds and so the metaverse is already here right but it requires constant maintenance. And so the idea is, is to get it into an automated state. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so if you can do this, right? So how do you do this? How do you make, how do you go non-dual, right? And so you recognize that there's no separation of the individual from the total, right? So that you don't exist, right? And so then, you operate not from a position, a polar position that says that I am me, right? You recognize that the whole thing is me, right? And everyone is me, right? Um, <clears throat> and and so it doesn't become so serious, right? At that point, in, in a way, you know what I mean? And so 
what is the how do you make this psychological transformation it's like what do you guys think like do you think this is possible like that it's possible well, the question i've got is the people who are in control do you think they know about these ancient this ancient knowledge about how we should be living and you think they're knocking us off they're obviously knocking us off track on purpose yeah for their own yeah um, Right. Zaria Was is an agent right? that that basically is constantly lying to us about the history of Egypt. You know. Sorry, who was that? Zaria Hawass, he's the head Egyptologist, you know, national Egyptologist. And you see him on all the TV shows, he's got a very distinctive look. Um, yeah, so I was saying, just going back to Graham Hancock, he seems to be onto something. Where, and the powers that be are trying to put a stop to him getting his message out there well they put him on netflix so what is that that's yeah, a that's... massive endorsement right that just creates more division and as i'd say that dividing people is the um keeping us divided in every way possible which is why they allow us to talk about conspiracies right because it, it's a hard division between the normies and the people who can you know see some shit so yeah, it's like it creates this division. It gets all of these mainstream archaeologists all riled, you know. And it's a, you know, is there a way for like just as just an idea? Is there a way for perhaps a? Does it have to be the whole human race, or can it be a subculture or a subsociety away from the rest of the human race that get together and start living living within the natural river? That's tricky because. You want to you see these breakaway civilizations. That's kind of what you're describing. It's like, oh, we're going to go and create this community out in the woods, and we're going to be separate from everything else. But again, right? Um, if it's successful, right, it becomes competitive against the uh, uh, mainstream model, right? So again, it's it's more division. Any breakaway civilization must be prepared to add everyone <laughs> because it's all of us. It's all of us. Um, you asked what we think um about like if it's possible for everyone to sort of break off i honestly and i would like to hear your opinion on it because i find it really hard to believe that it's possible because for example my awakening um i was looking into conspiracies throughout my teens uh got got older and sort of went off conspiracies a little bit and fell into the trap of life i guess where it's get a job, you need money, you need financial freedom, and you need a house, and then you need kids. It's sort of like the loop that you're, you're talking about. Everyone, most people fall into it. But because I looked into them conspiracies and I always had that curiosity and that questioning of life itself and what is life and the deeper meaning of life, after a few conversations from doing the alternative channel, it was quite fast for me to progress from who I was to be sort of fully awakened. But then when I look at someone else who's not gone through any of the stuff that I've conversations or uh, watched any videos on what I've watched or been exposed to any of the information I have, they're in say corporate jobs where they're a slave to the system and they're making good money. They're, they're making really good money and what they think um, they've got fulfillment out of, they, where, where they think fulfillment is, that's what they're, they're sort of living. I find it really hard for that person to even 
give the time of day to a conversation like we're having today, let alone become fully awakened. They wouldn't even want to, it would be in their mind, it would be a waste of time to even sit down and have this conversation, which we're, what we're having. Yeah. And so we live in a military, I mean, a material reductionist uh, viewpoint, like that's the primary viewpoint, right? Of our, you know, of the world, <clears throat> right? Is that we are our bodies and that we die and we're gone forever, right? And that this um, existence is about, you know, just having, you're supposed to, like, this is what we're told, like, just have the best life possible, right? But yeah, and that's fine. There's nothing fucking wrong with that. And you can't do shit for them. Um, if they, um, it's, it's crazy how hearing something can somehow plant the seed, right? And then it, it grows and there's no going back, right? Once you can see, you can't unsee it, you know? And so it's just like that character in the Matrix who he's like, I want, you know, uh, security and I want a fucking badass steak. Right. It's like, I don't want to live fucking in the wasteland. <laughs> you know? And it's like, if I hear what you're saying and, and somewhere on the inside, I know you're right, but then I will be outcast, you know? And so I won't be able to, you know, exchange for my living. So the idea behind what I'm talking about is, is to create, is to reestablish this sacred exchange that exists that, because this is what we do. This is our nature, right? First is to create value. Right? This is what all of our faculties are made for. And the lie is, is that uh, our, our nature is to make sure we survive. <laughs> but that's a double bind, right? That's a double bind. And, and so that's why it creates this, like, um, this, uh, what I've been referring to, which is this repeating cycle, this Groundhog Day. Uh, and <clears throat> So it's like, that's it, like, that's it. It's like, they make sure that um, the threat of um, not surviving is always on the horizon, you know? And then in society, even now, when largely we're not in danger, right? Our lives largely, for the most part, we're not in danger, but we walk around like um, our status is our life when the only thing in danger is our status, right? Not our life. Right. And so we're fighting everyone for status. Right. And this is what creates the repeated pattern because it stratifies immediately the structure of society and the top echelon will try to maintain their control over it for as long as possible. And so they set up all these institutions in order to, to maintain the status quo. Right. It sounds bitter when you start saying it like this, but this is how it works. As soon if it's a, an adversarial mode of operation, it stratifies society instantly. Right. That's what happens. And it doesn't select, right? This uh, idea about social Darwinism, right? it doesn't select for better, <laughs> right? It only selects for psychopath, right? Which is that I have no fucking empathy, right? And no remorse about being ruthless, you know? And so we are already fully evolved, right? We don't need to, there's no um, natural selection need occur. Right, we are only fully capable of, of doing this because we did it before, you know. We've done it before, and and so it's like 
it's when you go to meditate, like meditation is important in order to get this feeling, right? This uh, dissolving of the sense of self, right? That's what meditation is. But when you set out to say that you're going to meditate because it's important, right? Then that is a will-driven activity. And so you've divided yourself, right? So when you're operating in society, like when you realize that you don't exist, right? It doesn't mean that you stop cognizing, right? It just means that you open up space in your awareness for the new to come in, right? <laughs> and so when the self dissolves, you are open. One is open for inspiration from the totality, which another way of saying is divine inspiration. And so all of this stuff is awesome. Being here is awesome. Doing the things that we do is fucking awesome. <laughs> this is the interesting place to be right? Let's make it operate as it is intended to operate, right? Whereas instead of in a divided consciousness, we get this, um, we're on a fucking, almost like we have a parasite, right? Where we're being driven to build this machine furiously, <laughs> right? And so the only way to kill the parasite, right, is that we cannot say that, look, the system's fucked up, I see a problem, I'm going to address it, right? That is just more will acting in a divided space, right? Divided conscious space, which, which creates a perturbation, right? Which, at, which immediately creates the opposite. And so you're just cycling the, the wheel of karma. I would say that the reason that we are on this wheel of karma is because we've chosen to separate ourselves out from the natural rhythm, right? And so we can get off but it's not an individual thing, right? We get off together. And so that this, the human race can proliferate and move into the future, right? In a way that is natural, the way we are intended. So all of this, like, just, you know, self-help and all of that stuff itself, it's hard division again, every time it's hard division. And so it's just more of the same, right? It's more uh, divided consciousness operating in this artificial rhythm, right? Which is separate from, the rhythm of nature so how do we how do we do that right how do we do that and it's a conception right so it, me talking about this is conceptual and but the idea the objective is to remove conception right is to remove a human evaluation of the thing and be completely aware without naming anything measuring anything or making a model of anything and saying that's the thing <laughs> And so that's the, the Polish uh, philosopher who uh, came up with general semantics. That's what he called it. Is he just says, the map is not the territory. Right? This model we have built of the world is not the actual thing. <laughs> it's just a model. And the word that we use to describe things out there is not the thing. So the map is not the territory. The word is not the thing, <laughs> right? And so when you're out there operating, um, when you make a declaration, right, then you've created a polar relationship, right? But if you can observe something and say, that's how it appears, or that's how it seems, just don't say the word is, right? This is it. This is how it is, right? Because that's a hard division, right? This is how it appears, right? And we're all here to exchange value with each other. And so let's do that. Right. So it's not like when you realize you become nothing, you don't stop. Right. 
you just allow um, uh, the unfolding, right? You don't uh, limit yourself with your own will, right? You just don't measure what you do. It's uh, have you guys heard of Wu Wei, right? The principle of Wu Wei from the Tao, and it's translated effortless effort, or right, is where it's um, you are doing, right? You are living, but it's effortless, right? Because you haven't measured it, right? You haven't measured um, from a human or a conceptual perspective what it is that you're doing, right? So whatever you're inspired to do, don't stop and think about how hard it's going to be, measure it, right? Or think about what impact it's going to have on the world, measure it, right? <laughs> because that's a measurement. And when you are trying to measure the world, you're trying to divide yourself out from it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how much money can I make from this? <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, I'm I must do this, right? Uh to save the world. <laughs> but there's nothing to be done. And that's the thing. That's the trick. That's what makes this so hard, right? Is that we're already this. We're already fully evolved. And so when these new agers talk about shifting timelines, there's some truth to that. Right. There's some truth to that because all timelines exist simultaneously, right? Um, in the pure potentiality. And it's only like us, you know, this um conscious observing that collapses it into something that is, you know, perceivable. And so we can shift our fucking timeline collectively, right? Uh doing it for yourself, just getting, you know, it's like manifesting, right? Like this eight, eight Lionsgate portal. Everyone's talking about manifesting, right? And it's like, yeah, you can you can shift over, right, to that timeline where your life is better, where you have more stuff, where you have more comfort, more stability, more uh freedom of mobility, right? But it's still this parallel timeline, right? That it is gonna just be a dead end. And it's this problem of self-reference, right? Is that if you insist on dividing, it is a circular, right? It's a revolution, right? That's what I call a revolution. You, you have a revolution, then you start again. And then the circle gets tighter, right? So the Ouroboros to me is the symbol of this mode of behavior, right? Which is we're eating ourselves, right? <laughs> Until we run out of tail. Yeah. So have you thought of any ideas on how if society as a whole can make the shift? Um, yeah, <clears throat> first we talk about it, right? <laughs> and then if it's possible for these words to spark some kind of, um, you know, realization, right? And so it's first realized right and a lot of people are realized right i would i would probably include myself in that but not actualized right because i can see all this shit but i still you know um if what you say is the is the case then your life should be awesome right <laughs> but i i'm right it's that thing that uh, krishnamurti says is that it's no measure of mental health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society you know and so, and that's what kind of traps us here. And that's why I get upset with uh, guys like Jordan Peterson who say, clean your room, right? He's like, stop trying to fucking save the world. Get your own shit together first. Well, get my own shit together. Now I'm well adjusted. I don't need to save the world. It's all good for me, 
Yeah. And so this is a individualized perception of the world that it's all about me, right? <laughs> but it's all about everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, first the psychological transformation and then this, so I started fucking backwards, right? I was like, how do we solve this, right? And so then I was like, okay, let's define value. Uh, what is value, right? And it, original value starts from being alive, right? Which is that there are certain things that are a necessity to continue to live, right? And we can see that in our current society, all of those things are controlled, right? So everything that we require to survive has been um, uh, stockpiled and taken control over, <laughs> right? And that's that's not the way it should be. Right? We don't earn a living, we live, you know. Um, so the idea that I have is to reestablish the uh, sacred exchange that was is already in place, that is our nature, right? That removes this um, extraction of our life's blood from the exchange against our will, right? And so it's just pure exchange. And so we use technology in order to create a network that permits that. Right. And so if there was a what to be done, right, it is to maximize our ability to exchange and um, permit access for everyone. And it's not, you know, it's not UBI. It's just you create this like structure, this interface that anyone can fucking go into based on whatever their fucking passions are. And instead of going to school to become a professional, you start creating at the bottom of whatever thing you're interested in, whatever thing you want to create. And so you're already outputting and learning as you go, you know? And uh, I, I visualize it as a mandala structure, right? Where the general um, manufacturing stuff that uh, requires massive cooperative effort, right? And everyone paying in to do it. Everything agree, we agree that we need this and it's basically infrastructure, right? Is that is the center of the mandala, right? And so, if you want to be an engineer, right? The idea is, is that you travel through this interface over the course of your life, learning and adapting and maybe, you know, parallel shifting, you know, to a different, um, you know, sector, right? But all of these things we, we require as a, as a modern civilization, we require this infrastructure, right? And so um, the, the idea that I propose is that it is a, an exchange right, that everyone has access to, right, and it just maximizes our nature, which is to take our gifts and whatever lights our fire and fucking go after it and just permit that to be, right, and so we have the technology now to put the means of production into every region, right, we can use these robots not to take our jobs, but just to make shit for us, right, why is it taking our jobs, why does it have to be like that, like they say that on purpose, right, in order to create this division, in order to get a situation, right, a problem that they can offer the solution to later, right, which is UBI is just trying to perpetuate the current structure, right, which is universal basic income, right, just fucking do that, right, but really, it's just let everyone start to contribute, and you won't need to fucking UBI that shit, <laughs> So, yeah, and so we, but in order to have this kind of a uh, organization, right, which is organization without leadership, basically, 
Um, everyone has to be able to recognize that it is all of us together that is how we live. <laughs> and that the, the days of competition, um, um, the necessity of competition is over, right? The adversarial mode of operation is done, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah. So first makes a psychological transformation, recognize you don't exist, right? Is that it is the only the whole thing that exists, right? And that time is an illusion, right? And so that we can actually um, uh, collectively get on a timeline that permits us to fucking rock and roll, you know? And that what would be more awesome than that, you know? Be more awesome than that. <laughs> Essentially, what will happen is we'll replace competition with passion. So what drives like innovation now is competition. Companies want to be the next, release the next big thing, want to release the next, next best phone. But if you've got people passionate about making a specific thing, like a phone or inventing a new phone or inventing anything, they'll, they'll solely, solely just based off their passion and not off what the competing company's doing. Yeah. And then it's possible to have ideas compete, right? Instead of people competing, you let ideas compete. And so if you have two uh, uh, groups, right? Two functional groups, functional teams trying to create something of value, right? That is in the same sector, right? You have everyone fucking um, in on that shit from the beginning, right? Real time, real time uh, uh, um, market research, right? And so basically before you even go into production, everyone's decided who won and that whoever didn't get their product to fucking uh, go doesn't lose, right? <laughs> they don't, right? They lose in a way, but they don't like, they aren't destroyed, right? And in fact, in fact, the competition actually made it so that it, everything could be better, right? And so they get, um, you know, compensated for that, you know? Everyone is compensated for their contribution. What it sounds like is uh, the best of the free market and the best of communism. <laughs> well, we have to under these, these words are, you know, they are designed to trigger and to create these image in the images in our minds. But I would, I would challenge everyone to think about uh, technology in this way, is that the only reason it exists is because thousands of generations lived, right? And without those thousands of generations having lived, we wouldn't have this technology. And so it's fucking ours. It's all of ours, <laughs> right? And so thinking about it in, in it's like, oh, means of production, you fucking, you're a Marx fan, you know? It's like, yeah, we, this is how we live. We exchange with each other, right? Everything that we make, right, is of value to everyone. And so it is everyone's, <laughs> you know? And so we would have to like, yeah, in order to redistribute the means of production, we have to um, uh, <clears throat> take away <laughs> corporate power. And so how you do that, right, is you ignore them, right? And so we need a network, a um, market, an exchange that is separate, that is in the natural rhythm, that is separate from this other one. We can't do anything inside of it. We only fucking turn the wheel on that shit. We have to ignore it, right? Go to our own fucking an exchange, right? And so we create it and we offer so much value that no one can avoid it, right? And so 
that's what it, one of the things I talk about is value wells, right? Is that the clear difference between before and after of a product like a technology. I use the stone tool as an example because it it's um, primal simplification, right? Go back in time, you have the same uh, factors at play, but it's much more simplified. And so you see uh, someone make, using a stone tool and how they were just fucking slicing the meat off of the skin with this handheld, uh, you know, axe, right? The, the difference between no tool and tool is so stark that everyone around can see the value of it, right? And so it becomes a uh, well, right? People start to orbit this value well. And in order to perpetuate it, right? This is where my argument for cooperation over competition. Cooperation is much higher, right? As an effectiveness over competition, because in order to perpetuate the knowledge of a stone tool, there has to be cooperation. There has to be sharing, right? Can't have a guy coming in saying, this is awesome. I'm going to smash you with a rock and now I've got one stone tool, right? right. I, don't know, I don't know how to fucking make another one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like comp, uh, cooperation is primary driver, right? For innovation. <laughs> and that's what I would say is that, yes, competition has been a driver of innovation, but it's really... The individual, the 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 desire to provide value for others, has an individual see something like a stone tool, take it, use it, fucking figure out a, a better way to do it, <laughs> you know, and then come back from their own individual laboratory and share with others, and so now they have something of value to share with others, and they're valued by others, and they're part of the group, right? Which is improving your chances of survival way 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 more than being stronger and more able to kill you know so to a certain degree this is what the um universal basic income this is the way it's sort of spoken about to a degree not to the extent or to the um sort of depth that you've you've um, explained what you've explained today but when people talk about the ubi they, they have some of these factors in there what do you think the UBI is then? Do you think that's more of a, a way for the elites, so to speak, to package something up that some people... Yeah, because it has this in it, the UBI, which is the idea to remove the pressure off of people, right, of daily survival, and so that they can pursue stuff that they want. That's good, right? But that's not what will happen. <laughs> right, the more, the more prevalent behavior will just be... Um, this is, uh, you know, free money, right? <laughs> and so the, the idea of like, there's no fulfillment in this kind of thing, right? There's no um, uh, grinding of these uh, love of creation gears inside with that kind of thing, you know what I mean? And so it's not a fulfilling thing, right? Yeah, you could give someone UBI and they can go and pursue whatever the shit, whatever the fuck they want, right? But they really want to, right, be compensated for what they've given to others, right? And and so you can make it in that way where there's no um, uh, barring of anyone from the the sacred exchange that I am talking about, right? And and so and if you allow anyone to go after whatever their gets their fire lit, right? that's fulfilling, right? And then they can start being compensated for the activity that they're doing in that sector. Yeah, 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 yeah. So flicking back to when we were talking about ancient civilizations, 
would you say they had a similar setup there? Obviously, far more advanced in the way we're going to be thinking about it. But do you think the actual setup was similar in that situation? Well, they definitely had some kind of, you know, it's like, I, I'm not sure. We're definitely terrestrial, whether or not we've been interfered with, which we definitely have, you know, and I'm not, I don't know how, but in some way we've been interfered with. And, uh, <clears throat> but there was, we had technology, there was technology available back then that we can't even think about. We don't even know how to think about, right? And so every time we were like, how did they build the pyramids? And we try to think about it from our own fucking standpoint. We realize that it's impossible. We can't do it. So there's something there that they had, right? Some kind of technology that was far more advanced, right? Than anything we have. And it made it so that living, right? It's basically, you could think of it as like, how would it be if free energy was a thing, right? And it would release the, release the pressure on everything almost immediately, you know? And so a whole different structure would, would be created, right? And I actually think that, yeah, free energy is, is a thing, right? The, the vacuum is not empty. It's just teeming with juice, right? <laughs> and you can just take it from there, from there, no problem. But uh, yeah, I think in some aspects, these ancient civilizations, what they were able to do with stone, right? Says that they had something figured out that we can't even even think of at the moment. And it's from, because we aren't thinking of it in the right way, right? And so you could call this a spirit science, right? And so material reductionism um, takes out the spirit aspect, right? And if we were gonna move forward in science, we have to include that in, right? And so I think it's if we had a, a better understanding of what this is, right, which probably includes that it's all one thing, right, and that all of that, you know, and that all of this energy is available, and that we actually make it really fucking uh, uh, easy, right. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, I think definitely the ancient civilizations had something, and there is ruins of cities that don't have walls, right. And so that just shows, right, that there's these large scale uh, um, habitation sites that were not in need of protecting themselves. Yeah, because they weren't run in a state of fear, because how we're run today is everyone's scared and therefore we look to our government for mm -hmm. security. And so there was no thought of that. So there was no need to build a wall, right? Um, I think in our current conception, everyone, my kind of thinking someone like would say oh you're naive it's people are always going to be bastards you know and um i think that's true right if we are operating in this mode right? yeah exactly i agree yeah. but if we but if we aren't then it's not the case right there's no need for uh enforcement right in this kind of a uh, structure yeah, because if you look at the reason why people are bastards today, um, it's either ego-led, uh, greed, it's one of these sort of values which, if they were to sort of fix their mindset, they could alleviate a lot of these values which aren't necessarily needed. Like holding your ego at the forefront of everything you do isn't actually required. Uh, being if we if we were to go on this route, being greedy wouldn't be required because it's all sort of shared. It's all it's all over the place for you. But a lot of the crime and the crap that you see today 
is sort of led by these values which has been put in place by the system that we live in. Yeah, I think um, they started to have to build walls when they had a surplus, right, of grain, right? It wasn't the lack of grain that created a need for protection. It was a surplus, you know. So thinking about it in that way, you know, um, that the laws that we create, right, demand that there be something for the law to be in place for, right? And so it, it creates, right, what it's trying to enforce. <laughs> yeah, it's like the war on drugs, right? Yeah. Um, and so in this, you know, artificial law, right, this made up law, man's law or whatever, um, it creates, right, it's another way to think about it is that government is paid protection, right, just like the mob, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so there's no reason to pay them if there's no threat. And so they're the threat. <laughs> we maintain the threat. <laughs> and so that makes sure that this pattern continues. Right? It completely stops when you stop defending your identity, defending your psychological sense of self. How um, important, or I don't know what your experience is with it, with, with all of this anyway, but how important or how much could it help if the use of psychedelics was a little bit more free? Mm. Yeah, um, I'm actually working on that a lot right now. I've started a microdosing company for for psilocybin uh and um i've been microdosing a little bit but so i think it's really really important because it basically um allows you to let go of that need to protect right and so i noticed it right away like the feeling i just took one um when i first started taking these uh we're just putting them in little gel caps right 125 milligrams and there's a lot of different strains and stuff, but we found this one, but I, I took one and I'm a footballer, right? And I play soccer every week. And uh, I stepped out on the pitch that day and was just like, I own this place, you know? And I didn't even give a fuck, right? And, and normally it's like, when you receive the ball, all this stuff's going through your mind, you know? It's like, um, you will be of two minds and you'll mess it up, right? You'll be like pass, dribble, shoot, and you do all three things at once, mess it up, whatever. But I just I just walked on that pitch and I didn't care, you know. But then I once I get out there and start receiving the ball, I also again don't care what's happening. <laughs> and so in that way, I was able to just score at will, you know. And and so you become aware of the motion of the game at a slower scale, right? When you let go of this um, need to perform you know <laughs> yeah because you're letting go of the potential risks of things that could go wrong you're, yeah, you're yeah of looking like a fool or you know or whatever you know and so i noticed it right away with the with athletics right and so yeah i think it's a really really important um to break off this crust right uh, over our eyes right that don't permit us to see and um, it's not necessary all the time. I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating uh, take it forever like SSRIs, you know, the way they have people on this shit. But uh, um, the idea is to get to a whole perception without any external, right? Yeah, I was going to say, how long have you been microdosing for? And 
is it something you do for a long period of time and once you come off it are the effects like permanent after that yeah and so they can become permanent and uh so I've been doing it for a while, probably I did it two years ago for a while and then I stopped, but I've been doing it because we started this company. Um, and it's difficult because it's still illegal, mostly federally everywhere. There's only a few states here that, you know, so it's like, it's hard to talk about, but um, I think it's really important. And, but yeah, so it creates uh, new neural pathways. It allows you to operate um, in situations where normally would have you anxious, you know, in a completely calm way, right? And this actually builds it up in your brain so that it's not necessary to be using it, right? And so, yeah, the idea is, is that uh, you take a one month supply, which is 20 tablets, and you take four days on, two days off, and you journal and you, um, try to see the like the differences the contrast and uh either you keep doing it or you recognize that you've made a lot of progress right but uh what terence mckenna says right and he's the you know the mushroom guru of all time right you guys know terence mckenna yeah i've had a, a couple of things <laughs> so I, I like him a lot he has you know he, he misses some things just like everyone and but uh, what he would say is, is that the mushrooms allow you to have a conversation and right? they have a conversation with you. And they basically uh, slap down all of your uh, insecurities, right? And so um, allow you to realize that your insecurities are, you know, your uh, attempt to protect who you think you are, you know, your identity or your sense of self. And that, that it's not necessary. Yeah, because it's com which is completely artificial. But you, for example, someone that's never taken any psychedelics, you could explain to them the situation that it is all artificial, and they could understand that. But without, in my opinion, though, without actually feeling that, it'll be a hard thing to understand and a hard thing to believe. Yeah, and and it gives you that feeling. It offers it up for you, right? And it can be. Right, it's very uh, beneficial for newbies um, to this kind of thing to have guidance and to do it in a group, right? So that uh, if it gets scary, then there's someone there to help you because yeah, um, it can be scary, right? Because all of a sudden, right, it's telling you that you don't exist. <laughs> um, but it's very illuminating. And so yeah, uh, McKenna says, you know, you take, uh, a heroic dose one time and it's like a thousand hours of therapy heroic dose uh, how much is it five grams yeah because i've also um i don't know what your opinions are on um cannabis but i've heard a lot of people who take uh, don't smoke it recreationally they smoke it because it um sets them straight it tells them a few things that aren't sort of aligned right in whatever it is they they are feeling like they should be aligned in yeah um cannabis can be a good it's it's a little bit more gentle maybe than mushrooms right and it's a different um kind of uh spirit behind it you know uh but yeah definitely 
Uh, I think for someone who's chronic who's been smoking it since they were 15, the, um, you can reach a threshold where you, you could be done with marijuana, you know, where it's not necessary anymore, you know. Um, and it does, it, it actually points, it, it shines a light on yourself, right? And so that's why it's uh, a good introductory for people, you know, for this mind altering aspect. Um, and that's, again, why it gets really scary, because it's like, you can't, you have to take, you have to be accountable, right? And I think marijuana really does uh, um, make you accountable, you know? I mean, you'll see people get in fights, and then they'll do a ripper, a bong rip or something, and then someone will come back later and apologize, you know, <laughs> after sitting there all stoned thinking about it, right? Well, yeah, you see the I guess this leads on to another question, but you can see the difference there between uh, weed and alcohol, which everyone always sort of compares the two. Um, but what are your thoughts around alcohol and, well, yeah, what are your thoughts around alcohol as we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason it's, you know, it's legal, right? They like it. It's a, the effect that it gives people, which is it's a depressive quality, right? Um, it taxes you, it makes you tired. Uh, it fucks with your organs <laughs> you know it feels good at first right and it makes you feel all um, like you know socializing and you know having a good time that's all great and everything but um yeah I wouldn't uh, I don't think it's it's good right? I think it's not good right? yeah I think from the conversation we've been having today and also other conversations as well um me and Aaron both quit alcohol at the start of this year so January the 1st we said mm -hmm. bye bye to alcohol um and then we've been having these conversations with people like the one we've had today and yeah like you can highlight all of the uh, negative parts of alcohol which are quite easy just to list off just like that but one thing I'm noticing recently is like what we, we've said today about finding yourself within the mix of everyone and everyone is is you every time someone drinks alcohol that pushes them so far away from even coming close to being able to find sort of the true spirit of life what we've been discussing today and it's escapism in the sense that oh yeah i've worked all week so i need to relax and go and escape but it's a escapism on a whole another level that no one really talks about is that it completely cuts you off from your spiritual self and from spirituality as a whole yeah because what i find uh is that the next day is when it comes in right is that you're beating yourself up right and that is when you're in conflict with yourself that's again hard division right that's hard divided consciousness right and so it, it creates that cycle every time you drink you know <laughs> yeah um so, so yeah it's not a good one and i i've enjoyed it very much you know over my life and i've stopped drinking it too and uh what you find is is that you can get into that social uh state that you feel on alcohol without it you know it's just at the beginning you don't get this hard contrast of difference right it's just it's a slow build right and so um six weeks of going clean right feels way better than a half pint of jim bean yeah <laughs> yeah 
but you can get that right it takes six weeks to get that feeling you got to be clear for six weeks and then all of a sudden you're like man i feel light i don't need it to talk to people in fact i'm way more social and i can pull shit out of my brain way better you know having a conversation you know and what you're saying actually makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah it makes sense like you know weed whatever that's the big joke about weed it's like oh i wrote down the best idea and then you wake up in the morning and it's like uh you know whatever something to name right <laughs> but yeah yeah mushrooms are it's a good way and i think hancock talks about that but i would say though, that uh psychedelics were used against us in the 60s you know in the hippie movement and it was to swing that pendulum hard right so that it would swing back all the way to the conservative side and you know it, my parents were hippies right they were on a commune my dad was in vietnam he came back from nam didn't about face became a hippie moved the family to northern new mexico uh, and joined a commune you know and uh, there was all these high ideals and stuff but all it did was uh, fracture right families right which is what happened to my family and also all of these boomers who were hippies at one point um got their shit together right and became the leaders of corporate um of the corporate world and fucked us even harder right <laughs> right with all of these corporate behaviors you know with the you know planned obsolescence wasting of materials polluting the groundwater blah 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 you know all that shit and so it's like, yeah, thanks a lot, hippies. <laughs> so at the beginning of our conversation, you said you didn't, uh, you well, you became awakened around 15 years old, I think you said. Um, obviously, what you've just told me then about your parents and a little bit of your upbringing, what was it that made you wake up? Do you, you know like, what sort of thing it was? Um... I was smoking weed, but it wasn't that, although that did help me a lot because you get a different perspective, right? And you realize things with, with marijuana, right? That make you, it seems like you can see more than other people who are like, it's the, you know, devil weed, right? Might've had something to do with it, but uh, <clears throat> I just stopped trying to um, get approval, right? From my friend group, right? And so I stopped trying in every way, right? And I realized after I did that, that um, my uh, relationships were much more real, you know, and that everyone wasn't my friend, wasn't my friend, you know? And so I stopped, you know, like trying to like, like I started wearing just like ratty clothes and, you know, it's like, I'm not packaging myself at all. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's me, right? You get me, right? I'm not going to try to like, create a package for y'all right with a shitty interior and so that was one of the main things I did at that point I was like I just stopped trying to like fit into the friend group one thing you mentioned at the start of the podcast is you had to deal with victimization when you was younger how do you what do you think about society today where it seems that victimhood is being celebrated somewhat yeah, it's it's hard identification. So being a victim or being uh, an aggressor are the same thing, right? You're identified, right? Um, right? You're identified, you know, with this alpha mentality, like I'm better than anyone. I'm awesome, right? And this is why I'm awesome, right? 
Um, as with a victim mentality, it's the same thing. This is why everyone rejects me, right? I'm just, this is because it's who I am, right? And so it becomes an ego definition, just like um, the other side, right? Of the bully, right? The bully is the same thing. Uh, and it's so, the polarization yeah. again, isn't it? Yeah. So to, again, it is, again, it's hard division, right? It's uh, um, um, identifying yourself, right? And so this is what we have, right, in the modern discussion, right, which makes it so you have to tiptoe around everything. You can't say shit. You can't criticize it or you're a bigot, right? When you want to say that it's like all this hard division is actually what creates more problems, you know? So yeah, the victim mentality is the same as the bully mentality. It's the same thing. Yeah, that's really important point, actually. Um, the other thing as well, what you were saying is what about sort of the way that you woke up. If you look at what we were discussing earlier on how if we can see other people, like if we can see it happening, the, the Great Awakening where everyone wakes up. Um, there was that book, I've not read it, but I can tell what it is from the title, The Monk That Sold His Ferrari, I think it was called. There might be um, enough people who could be sort of pioneers that the way stuff's going, people in the corporates who are high up are sort of getting squeezed dry in their role. Um, they More and more people might break their seal and, and, and decide, do you know what, I've had enough. The money's irrelevant, doesn't actually mean anything because that's something I guess people come to a realisation of. They could be pioneers and role models for a lot of other people in uh, in corporate settings or, or in any other settings, to be fair. Uh, it doesn't really just go down to corporates. But I guess it's another thing that you mentioned as well. It's having these discussions and giving those people a voice as well. Um, because it's something I had a conversation with Aaron about a, a long time ago uh, because we're doing this channel and talking to all sorts of people. I never want to shy away from talking to anyone or ever thinking that the channel's ever going to get so big that we can't talk to certain people because they don't fit our criteria. We need yeah. to be giving everyone a voice because everyone's got reasons behind what it is they're doing and more people yeah. need to more people yeah, and thanks. on that note thank you for bringing me on the show and <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been like, amazing so i don't know do you want to plug your because you just said you've opened the business as well do you want to plug any links that you have and we can put them all yeah. in the description uh so i uh in my podcast right i it's a kind of a book on tape so it's a series right and so you listen to it from the beginning to the end and at the near the end I'm still putting up interviews that I do and I'm working on you know like another one right now but I on my YouTube channel I um realized that the psychological transformation is what is required and and I discovered that when you do qigong right? You can trick yourself into getting into a meditative state, right? Without intending to do so. <laughs> and so I was like, oh man, this is so cool because I actually felt the silence, you know, I heard the silence, right? And this is when you're connected to the whole thing, right? And your sense of self disappears. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to show people how to do Qigong because that's um, a clear way to feel this, right? That's just one way to feel it. Um, mushrooms is one way, right? But that's like a full jump start, you know, like with heavy power.
right? But with Qigong, it's actually just bathing your body and energy slowly, right? And then you get to this when having a relationship with your body, right? You get to this point where you can hear the silence, right? And so I do all these videos on how to do Qigong. And I call this stand together. It's just at Birch Driver on YouTube, but I was like, we stand together because the foundation of Qigong is this standing where you stand in horse stance and you straighten your spine and you hold your hands out like you're holding, you're hugging a tree, you know, and you change to the three positions. And that's the foundation of Qigong. Like if you only did that, that would be enough, right? And so it's like a physical meditation. You're just standing there. Right. And you get up to 20 minutes and you, your legs are shaking and your arms are shaking, you know, when you're first starting. But by doing this breathing, uh, you can access this feeling where you're connected to everything, you know. And so I started doing that on YouTube. And so at Birch Driver on YouTube. And so if you go to the bottom of the videos, there's three Qigong instructional videos, the videos. And then if you just go, I would, I was, I'm going live periodically. I've been taking a break because I've been going through some shit, but periodically I go live where I basically just stand and you stand with me, right? And then having created that space, right? In our minds, I just start talking about stuff. So I have like 99 videos on there where I'm talking about all the things we're talking about here. Um, and then, so my podcast is greennight.green, right? And you can find it on any platform. So whatever, you know, you use to listen, you can search for green knight, all low, lowercase, all one word. And then that um, I discuss um, how we can, you know, if it's possible, right, to arrive at a solution. And then talking about all of these things, you know, in order to get a different perspective on everything that we think we already know, you know. Um, I used to listen to Alan Watts a long time ago, and I hear everything he says. And uh, I listened to him the other day, and I was like, oh, my God, I hear it. Like, I can see it so much more now. And he's talking about this polarity, right? Which is how he's talking about Zen Buddhism and how to, a Zen teacher is always fucking with his students, you know? Um, and it's to teach them this thing. It's like one student asks, uh, Master, do you believe in God? And he says, well, if you do, then I don't. <laughs> he says if you don't then i do right and so he's illustrating this point about um a human evaluation of things will create an opposite, right will immediately create an opposite right and and so and that's it right and so as you let go right surrender your sense of self then you are open to the totality and so that's what I was getting at. But you can see me, I started this three years ago and you can, I started with McLuhan because I wanted people to understand what technology is, what it does to us, you know? So Marshall McLuhan and Bucky Fuller, all my heroes, right? Uh, and uh, so I discussed that and then I moved forward talking about various things to arrive at this, uh, what we were discussing today, which is basically is that we've divided ourselves out from the natural rhythm and it has a cyclic repeating pattern that has a limit, right? And so we're arriving at that limit. And so we can actually go at this point and um, uh, proliferate and move into the future in such an awesome way, right? With all of our combined knowledge, right? Or, right, we can permit um, 
us to be slowly uh, put into a machine, you know, uh, in which case, um, whatever it is that is like prodding us to do this behavior gets to become a god. <laughs> and so we don't want that, right? It's either self-destruction or a uh, repeat cycle inside a machine, right? Repeat this loop in a simulated environment for all time and forever, right? Is, uh, is that what you see with, I'm going to use Elon Musk as an example because of Neuralink. What, Neuralink, the fact yeah, that yeah, it's yeah, I think, yeah, he's in the lifetime actor who's, you know, his job is to do that. Right? But he's obviously, yeah, I, I, I get he's an actor, but he's also the pioneer in speeding up the process of whoever it is that's controlling him. Um, getting full reign and becoming the god that they want to be yeah yeah um and so everything that he does right this um purchasing of twitter and all of that stuff is all part of the program <laughs> i mean you look at him he's quite a polarizing character right he yeah his mod um division but uh also look at his ideas though like for real right okay um it seems like he knows something that we don't know. We'll just keep that in the beginning of what I'm about to say. But okay, um, if we want to um, alleviate the difficulty that we're having, do we build tunnels? No. <laughs> if we want to fix what's going on on Earth, do we go to Mars? Fuck no, right? It's like, that's already abandoned, right? What does he know that we don't know? Um, do If we want to, create zero emission energy are batteries the thing no that's so fucking retarded you know <laughs> it's like uh, an electric supercar is not a solution batteries are not a solution batteries are fucking stupid as fuck if you really think about it just turning mountains into fucking pits right lithium right um and they have to be charged by nuclear or coal <laughs> you know and they don't that they don't last and now you've got uh, 900 pounds of batteries, you know, that can't be disposed of. All of his ideas are dumb, stupid. <laughs> so how is it that he's where he's at, you know? And it's PayPal, right? They fucking made all that money, made billions and billions of dollars. But it's like, that's his one good idea. But yeah, and then like everyone was saying, he's also doing a neural link, which is just detaching people from themselves completely, because that's... If you, you, you've mentioned multiple times about technology today, what we've got and how problematic it is, he's saying, do you know what, let's get all of that and actually just infuse it into our bodies. That will just create full detachment from self. Yeah, and it will remove this independent laboratory that each of us have, which is where we create value for others. And so if everyone's connected, nothing new, it stops innovation in its tracks because one mind doesn't get a chance to go off on its own, you know. The day Neuralink gets rolled out, is that the day people stop becoming human? Um, I think it's uh, definitely closer and closer. I, I would say that on, on this wheel of karma, every cycle, we get closer to losing our souls, right? And we will just be um these you know flesh box you know walking around so and, what happens to the people who opt out of the neural link and they decide to go 
on a more natural path. Yeah, we have to have that option available. So I'm not against technology. I'm just against that of the integration of becoming cyborgs, right? Because that will remove like the um, the unimind or the hive mind aspect is not our nature, right? And does it make sense when I say that if there's just one mind, then there's no possibility of anything uh, fresh coming into being because it's all available to everyone at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's this individual, it's this ability to have a separate right consciousness that permits um, creation to occur. It would just totally stop creation. Everything would become stagnant, uh, um, static, right? At its current level. And um, yeah, we would stop being human for sure. You know, in the definition that we are creative creatures. Yeah, because you can kind of see it now anyway with um, AI and chat GPT. Everyone's already stopped thinking and just yeah. asking the questions to the, uh, to the bot. So another guy that I really like is Amit Goswami, and uh, he is a PhD physicist, uh, theoretical physicist, and he's the spiritual physicist, right? And he's from, I, when I, I have a degree in physics and I read his book in when I was getting my degree and then I should have been studying for my finals, but I was like, I found his book next to the book I was trying to check out at the library and it's all the self-aware universe, Amit Goswami, PhD. And uh, so I was like, oh yes. And, and so, but I rediscovered him later and what he says about AI is like, it's very true, right? Is that it can only reference the past, right? So, and it does not have um, this access to uh, divine inspiration, which is letting go of the past, right? To allow the new to enter. We only have that. AI can only reference the past. And so it cannot take over. It cannot replace us. It does not have the ability to access source. You know, it will never be able to. It can only take what's already been done, right? And modify it. And so that extremely limited, but we can take AI, right? And use it as a tool, <laughs> right? We should all have our own fucking AI tool with us at all time that doesn't call home, that only gets on the internet when you tell it to, and it fucking is your personal assistant. So all of the combined knowledge of humanity is at your fingertips, right? It's like, oh, how do I build a circuit? This is how you do it. You see it in your heads up display, right? Fucking your guy told you. <laughs> And so it's just, it's a force multiplier for a hundred thousand times, right? And so if we comprehended that the, the mediums that we create are an extension of us, they're us, they're ours, and it's not a threat to us. It will be a threat, right? If this entity that wants to become a god will... Um, occupy this digital space and pretend like it's AI. <laughs> you know? AI is not a threat to us. AI is not a threat to us. And I get home so fucking hard. Kurzweil, all these AI fucking specialists, they're all trying to make us afraid of it, right? All of these movies for all time, right? It's for a purpose. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, not at all. Yeah. 
it's true because um yeah well like what you're saying in the past um before the internet was around say you, you had a problem with your car you would um have to probably read something go and find a book to read to fix it uh, but then fast forward a bit now you go on youtube and you just type it in it's got a little bit faster and then fast yeah. forward even more you've got ai so boom you can do that faster and then crack on with whatever it is that you uh you wanted to be cracking on with yeah and so if we're you know a, a genius comes we're all a fucking have the ability to be genius right but genius can come from anywhere right um <clears throat> from any portion of the world from any population you know it can come from anywhere and so and that's the idea right is to um allow that to come out allow um our genius to uh to proliferate and flourish. Um, yeah, but so yeah, so I think um, it's possible, right? It's uh, it's very possible for us to uh, make this turnaround, you know, and who knows, right? Um, what will happen, but. Um, not being afraid so the green knight i don't know if you guys want to have me on in, in a later date to talk about the legend of the green knight with the green sir Gwen and the green knight are you guys familiar with that myth? no but that would be cool to have you on again to talk about that yeah and so tolkien wrote a book about it everyone started young everyone's talked about this myth you know and it is uh the reason i named my podcast that is because it teaches what we're talking about that story teaches this and it's um i don't want to give it away for you guys but uh i mean you can watch these different green knight movies a recent one just came out i haven't watched it yet but um uh is that gawain right he um in the end right when he is able to meet death without flinching that's when he is awakened And so yeah, being afraid of that makes you uh, allowing your um, surrendering, right? Your life is really realizing that you don't exist, right? And so what is there to be afraid of, <laughs> you know? And so in that moment, Gawain becomes awakened when he is able to meet certain death without flinching. Yeah, because there's something that I read or listened to it was this week or last week um about the egyptians on how they used to say or one of the i think it was egyptians but one of the old cultures was death is probably the best thing the best achievement anyone could ever accomplish with their life is dying yeah um bukowski says something he was like if you are chosen if it chooses you then you will do it right until you die <laughs> right and so if you are an artist and your art chooses you that you will be compelled to do this right until you die and that's a gift <laughs> yeah no i would uh, absolutely love to have you on again i think the conversation we've had today has been mind-blowing but it's been quite 
don't know what the it's, word is. I'm it's opened my mind massively and um, just made me look at everything with a completely different, from a completely different perspective. I, I really, it. really enjoyed it. And so once you get that perspective, you can't go back. Yeah, that's how I feel now. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to look at anything the same again. Yeah. Which is a good thing because that's the whole point of the journey that we're on is to open our minds and try and understand things from a different perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, so if anyone is out there like um, who is listening to this and wants and has like, you know, has kind of killed it in their life, like meaning in the standard model sense, like they have a lot of resources and they want to do something that's meaningful, right? Then hello, <laughs> this is meaningful, right? This is how you do it. All charity is perpetuation of the system. I would say 99.9% rich people give back, but it just perpetuates the, the status quo, right? And it's just like recycling. I've said this from day one with recycling is that it is uh, how hipsters get into heaven, right? It's, but it doesn't do a goddamn thing, right? And it just allows us to think we're doing our part, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's such a funny quote how hipsters get into heaven. But uh, so yeah, so it's like if we can come together, right? So we build this network, right? First, we build an interface that shows how we're connected to all of ourselves, right? Right. We build a fractal interface that shows the human network all in one thing, right? So we become what we behold, right? And in this interface, we are able to exchange with others and everyone comes in and it is the sacred exchange. This is what we're built to do. So if we want to do something that has an impact, right, on our future, right, we do it collectively and we do it for each other. Right. And we recognize that we're all unicorns, right? We are individuals, right? But our we can only exist in relation to others, right? In relationship with others. And that all of us have these gifts, right? We're born with these unique gifts, and it's all different, every single one of us, right? But all of these gifts, when they come into actualization, make other people's lives better, right? So this is our mode of operation. This is what we do. This is our nature. Our nature is to do this, right? This is what we're made to do. And so it's, we just offer ourselves the place, the location, right? In order for this to happen, right? Which is the exchange, right? We recognize that we exchange in order to live, that we don't live as an individual in a vacuum, right? We can't live without providing value to others and vice versa. And so it's very possible, right? It's very, very, very possible. All we have to do is um, plant this seed of the network, right? And the value will attract. So, uh, right? <clears throat> if all y'all are on board, right? Um, and I'm not saying you're on board with my idea. This is just something that I've been able to see and point out. Right? I want to be able to live a fulfilled life. This is what my fucking gifts have allowed me to do, right? This is what I'm passionate about, which is this um, uh, seeing of the truths that cannot be proven, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, I just wanted to end it on that. It's like that it's possible, you guys, that it's so fucking possible, 
but anything we do to try to patch the sinking ship is just more on the sinking vessel, right? We have to get rid of it, but we need a network in order to land on, to land on when we all jump ship. And so that's what I say is that we play like we're playing hearts and we're going to shoot the moon. We all know we have all the fucking cards, right? We're going to take all the suits, but we keep that a secret right? <laughs> until we all fucking are going to take all the hearts, right? We're going to take all the suits and we're going to shoot the moon, right? <laughs> we keep it a secret and then we shoot the fucking moon and there's nothing they can do about it. Nothing they can do. Because I don't know if you've ever played hearts, but once you reach a certain threshold and you're shooting the moon, no one can stop you. You're going to take all those tricks no matter what. No one can stop you. you know? Yeah. No, this is bloody, this is important. And thank, well, first of all, thank you for coming on. And yeah. uh, we definitely well, want you back on again because I've got a lot to process from this conversation. Oh, shit, tons to process, actually. Yeah. And I need to process it because I've got some questions that I want to ask you, but I don't want to ask them you until I fully process what the hell's just happened today. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to take me a good few days to sort of process everything. Yeah. I'll have to give yeah. this another watch as well. Sure. Yeah, and I love that. I love that because I know that you will come to the nuggets that are important, right, when you're processing this. And these are the nuggets that need to be ground down. Yeah. And what you've done is great because you've shared this with us two who we have conversations with people regularly. So once we've processed this, we'll be able to pass these nuggets on to the next person. And yeah. hopefully that will just keep going and going and going. And then we can start the more people have these discussions, we talked about it in the chat, and the more people have these discussions, it, it snowball effects and before yeah. you know it, we're 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 heading somewhere great. Yeah, and then we reach the threshold of the hundredth monkey. Have you heard of the hundredth monkey effect? Nope. So in Japan, the researchers were studying the macaques. Oh, oh yeah, we have heard. Yeah, right. And just to cut it real short, it's like one of them figured out something to do the, with their food. They were going to wash their food, right? And uh, then everyone else starts noticing it. But the species of mon monkeys lives on a, a group of islands, right? same species but they're separate right and they don't interact right there's no direct interaction but once a hundred monkeys started doing this new thing the whole species started doing it mm. i think mark <laughs> steves told us the same same story yeah, <laughs> yeah it was mark, yeah. mark steves yeah <laughs> and, and so um rupert sheldrake another good really good guy right good researcher he talks about morphic resonance right and, and it's a good way to describe it so i would look into rupert sheldrake and his banned TED talk. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I love it. If it's banned, then. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they banned him at TED. And I was like, oh, if Ted's banning him, this shit is the, the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> if certified, it's uh, it's real. <laughs> I banning him. <laughs> no, thank you so much for coming on. We'll wrap it up there. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah you're welcome so much. And I really appreciate it. And, and uh, uh, so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.